This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. Today's secret word is Luke. Welcome, everyone. Today's guest is Jody J. Sperling. Uh, Jody is the author of The Luke in Time Mysteries, uh, the first of which is The Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi. So it's like a countdown, uh, followed by the eight ball magic of Susie Q. And then you go seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, um, which are not all written yet, but they're all basically planned but two in the same year i mean that's uh that's this has been an exciting year for you uh and then uh, you've got the third coming out in january is that correct so number three i have it set for january uh if i can get it out sooner than that i actually intend to um it's the nice thing about being self-published is i can sort of work at my pace and figure out like when I'm able to get something out, but it depends on my editors. It depends on proofreading and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, I will do my best to get it out ahead of time. Uh, it's funny when you're when you're self-published, and this is probably true for 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 small publishers as well. But like the faster you can put stuff out, the more Amazon itself will boost you. And so I'm always thinking about that. But I'm also very hyper aware of quality i never want to publish something that's a little bit too undercooked so um it's a hard thing to to juggle in my opinion that is exciting and uh, you're also the host of the trbm podcast uh for readers and writers i've been a guest on that show myself a great show uh and that show has really evolved too it used to be very very marketing focused and then it's really broadened and so it's it's a that's been a fun fun project tell everybody about that a little bit it has been a fun project so uh in the pandemic like so many people it was a it was a time of of uh dynamic changing for me and i left a job selling direct marketing mail to uh companies and went out on my own. I founded the podcast called Create Collaborate. I'm not even going to tell you how stupidly I chose to spell that, but I really failed in every way imaginable. And so I took a course with somebody. Um, It was a little bit of a scammy kind of thing, but it did help me to understand to niche down, focus on something. And so I turned it into the reluctant book marketer, TRBM. And then when I realized I wanted the podcast to do more and kind of kind of like go different directions, I made an inside joke by calling it TRBM. And the intro always says, what does TRBM stand for? And every week it changes. So I really want people to enjoy the playfulness of that. Yes, I've got a friend who's in a band uh, that is, uh, now I'm blanking on the acronym, but they never tell anyone what the acronym stands for. Right. Uh, they know, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, it just changes every time. Uh, uh, gosh, now I'm blanking on the name. That'll that'll come to me. I'll put it in the show notes because, you know, I'm old, but I can look it up. Uh, but a friend of mine, Ed Probst, plays with this great band and uh, DTW. I was going to say, I knew it. it uh, DTW. What does DTW stand for? It's like TB- TRBM. We don't know. Uh, so, <laughs> exactly. you know, folks show up each time for each show going, I, I, this is my guess. So they've made it a thing. 
Yeah. So before we go any further, the folks who are watching already know, and they're going, are they going to mention those costumes? But the folks who are listening cannot see us. So we have to tell people, we always dress up for this show. What did you choose to wear for your costume for this show? So I wanted to to look like Tommy Lee. So I'm shirtless right now. I'm all tatted up. Uh, I've got my my nose ring in. That really hurt just for a costume, but I am 100% committed to this. So, and I've got really nice mirror lens sunglasses. I, I appreciate the dedication. I I want. I, I I confess I am not as dedicated. I wanted to go with Slash for Guns and from Guns and Roses, but I didn't want to shave the beard. So I have the wig, but also my beard. And so I am just a solid ball of hair. Like there is very little of my ZZ Top and Slash. Uh, the, the, but I am really enjoying having hair for a change. It's been a long time since I've had hair and this wig. It's a little warm, but uh, it's it's a lot of fun. This is this is a lot of wig under this top hat here. So yes, <laughs> I, I've got Slash going on and uh, you've got Tommy Lee. We are, yes, this is a... a a very rock. rock and roll, but like late eighties, early nineties. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, we were betraying our our ages a little bit too. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what has been a distraction that has been keeping you away from your writing recently? You know what's really funny is that uh, I'm kind of looking back at my past self, wink, wink, and realizing how exactly accurate it was that I was thinking Tears of the Kingdom, the video game uh, that just came out in the Zelda series was going to be distracting me from writing. Um, and that's so true. We just bought it a week ago. Um, and I have been playing it nightly when I should be reading books. So I got to, to like get disciplined and get back to my reading routine. I just I can't not play Zelda for a little while. It's it's really bad. <laughs> you are not the first guest who has mentioned not just games that very specific game is like oh, so man. you're in excellent company i mean you know <laughs> that game is totally uh taking folks uh my son has i i don't know that he's beaten it who's the big final boss that you fight uh what's his name Ganon. yes i don't think he's gotten through to the boss but yeah but he could he's just enjoying being in that world you know and yeah and building things and you know so yeah it's uh it, that that and how old are your sons so my oldest uh, will be 11 here in just about a month. Uh, and then my middle will be 10 uh, right at the turn of the year. And then my youngest will be eight in January. So they are, you know, you know, the sweet spot age too. to be. Are you all, you know, fighting over the console? Who gets time or is it uh, is it a good co-op kind of game? No, it's it's definitely not. It's a single player. And what we do in my family, and I'm really happy about this, too, is that the boys are allowed 30 minutes a day in the morning. And then if we have time, depending on our schedule, they'll get another 30 minutes at night. So they'll get two 30 minute blocks each day. Uh, we're really strict about the time with them because we want them to experience life. And they're good about it. The actual issue is that after they go to bed, it's not uncommon for me to play for three hours. And it's oh, like, yeah. midnight. oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was where my strictness with my son fell apart was where I was like, yeah. I am a hypocrite. I am playing for right. way more hours than he is like. And so as he got older, older than your boys, then it became like free for all. And so yeah. he's yeah, he yeah. is. And, and as long as his, you know, it was like grades stay up, you know, he's. And actually, the the you know the video game thing saved him, prepared him, and saved him during the lockdown, because wow. you know he 
had built this friend group they would all be on discord and then they would be on their headsets and this was something they did beforehand when he yes. wasn't in track practice and swimming practice and everything else so when we went into lockdown he was like this is kind of great i just get to do this thing that i do and i'm hanging out with my friends and i'm being social and i'm totally fine and i'm this you know social butterfly and so i was miserable like i was like ah oh, but i need people and he was like i got my people i'm good <laughs> like so it's they live in a different world and yep. uh he was prepared for it you know i love that so uh what has been uh catching your eye in terms of the news okay so the it, it's funny because i have a, a family member right now who will go unnamed but the family member was able to lose a whole bunch of weight fairly quickly after struggling with it for a long time there's a new weight loss drug out there that's not ozempic i can't remember what it's called but i believe that's the one that the, the family member is using and uh as funny as it is that's really what i focus on and think a lot about because Again, going back to the pandemic, I was one of the ones, I think with many people who made a bad choice to really like loosen up my eating habits. I was home all day. I was working in W2 at the time for about half of the pandemic. And so like being home and working, it just was so easy to reach and eat and snack and maybe pop a drink at three o'clock instead of five o'clock. And before you know it, like I've got a dad bod plus. Yeah. And so I think all the time, if I could get a weight loss drug, that would be amazing. <laughs> I went the other way. So sank into a depression. And one of the functions of my depression is I then don't eat. And I oh, lost wow. a bunch of weight. And then, you know, and I worry something. Like I was like, oh, and then, yeah. you know, my life has gotten much better. I am engaged to a wonderful partner. Like everything is going really well. And yeah. I am putting it on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. part of it is when we started dating she was the manager of the local italian restaurant and uh so every night she'd get off work and bring home pasta yeah. and uh, it was like delicious yeah. carby food yeah it was a lot of fantastic pasta uh so yeah we're trying to be a little better now but uh yeah i, I yeah I, i've got some i've got some uh ground to make up there yeah uh so what about uh for hobby what is a hobby that's uh been taking you away from your writing lately all summer long we sit at the lake so i i guess i mean i got lucky in more than one way when i got married because my wife is amazing we're best friends uh and i have i i just i know so many guys that i grew up with who married for looks or something else probably just looks and didn't really think deeply about what was going on and uh, my wife is beautiful <laughs> i'm not saying she's not beautiful but really she's my best friend and um I got lucky too in that her family has a little bit of wealth from businesses that her grandfather built. And so I live in this really small town um, and her, her grandpa owns a, a, a large auctioneering business for farm equipment. He was able to dig out a little lake and a well. And so we have a private lake uh, that I, my in-laws have. And we go there every single weekend during the summertime kids ride around on wave runners boats you know swim around tube there's a little shed with a bathroom i mean it's like a luxury getaway every single weekend i'm a very very lucky person to have married into it because i certainly don't have that kind of money uh, but we take full advantage is it stocked for fishing too or is it uh... yeah yeah. Uh, it wasn't until last year. So uh, interestingly, the lake, it got so hot here. Thank you, climate change. Mm -hmm. It got so hot here that the oxygen uh, levels at the bottom of the lake depleted. It flipped hot water and, and cold water reversed and then all the fish died. So it smelled like the Seattle fish market 
for like the last month of the season last year and nobody can catch a fish this year. And that's actually true of almost all lakes in Nebraska right now, especially uh, Eastern Nebraska where we live is that the, the water, a lot of places flipped and deoxygenated and fish died everywhere. So it's been one of those things. People don't understand the way climate change is going to manifest in different places. And so they're saying, you know, here in Oregon, it's, Oh, fires, you know, we're going to have terrible fires. And Uh, then yes, you're going to have these lakes that are, uninhabitable uh but Mm -hmm. for fish and then you know you're gonna have these terrible storms on the east coast like it's gonna manifest in all these distinct ways and if we're not willing to be sympathetic to one another and say that is your way you know we're saying oh yeah i don't you know who cares that people who bought uh uh, you know million dollar condos in miami can't live in them they're underwater but i don't have my forest because you know it burned down like this yeah. is all the same thing. <laughs> we're, all, we're all kind of losing right now. I know it's it's uh, it's really crazy, and I think I think it's equally crazy in terms of climate change that our understanding of what moves the needle changes a little bit. We know some things like obviously automobiles really hurts, but there was a long time where I thought solar panels were the way, and so I have solar panels on my houses thinking that that was going to help, but actually the cost of building solar panels from an economic, like a uh, uh, climate perspective is almost worse. It's like, there's just not a lot of good solutions. I know this is not that podcast, but I think about no, I, this is the kind of thing, that, you know, I, I, I think we as writers, you know, it's funny, you know, we talk about, I always ask about what's been going on with you. And then it always gets to stuff that's bigger and that's good. Like we should be full people where we're not just saying this is the story I'm crafting, but like, I need to understand the world around me because my characters yeah. live there, you know, and and so I I think it's totally legitimate and and you know I I'm I'm a voracious consumer of the news sometimes to yeah. a fault my my yeah. son will say it's a little too much with the politics dad but I'm like this is the world we live in you know and and then I freak myself out uh, but uh, yeah, yeah it is it is scary and so having the ability to go I need to step away from this and go to the lake I think it's really yeah. healthy <laughs> yeah absolutely I can't I can't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and is it just hanging with the kids and, you know? Yeah. For the most part, I mean, it is a smaller community. So you have, you have a lot of, and that was, I think one tough thing about moving here. Uh, The only time in my marriage where we had a little bit of conflict was I started to assume that this was a stop off in a longer journey because for example, I lived in Spokane close to you. I remember those forest fiery summers where it was just like haze everywhere, pink sun all day long. Um, and I got my, my graduate degree there. I really expected that we would be traveling, living new places frequently, kind of exploring the world. And when we came here, I think she uh, felt like this is our forever home and we'll travel and vacation a little bit, but this is where we're planting roots. And there was a time when I think our, our expectations sort of took us in a different direction for just a little while. And I literally woke up one day and I thought, I am miserable right now. And I looked at everything that was going on and the things that I'd been trying to subliminally deliver to her. And I realized all I have to do is speak up, tell her what my expectations were, and then I have to give up on my dream about this because I have so much that she's given me. Um, this is a longer answer than you asked for, but again, no, that's I, I was able to leave my job and she's in support of me being a full-time writer when I'm losing money on a regular basis to try to make this dream happen right now. And she's never once said, hey, you selfish bastard. Sorry if they're, uh, no, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I 
uh, first of all, before we get too far, where did you go in Spokane? Because I, I went to school at Whitworth. I was. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, do you happen to know um, Tom? Uh, what is his last name? He was the poet laureate for a little while. Tom. Uh, let's see. It'll come to me. Yeah. Lanny is his wife, Tom and Lanny. And he teaches at Whitworth, but he was in the poetry. So if you didn't happen to like cross over anyway. Well, and, 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 you know, I was there for my undergrad, so he might not have been there yet. Ah, that's uh, true. But, yeah. Uh, yeah that's, uh, but yeah, that's, so were you at uh, Gonzaga or Whitworth or where were you at? No, EWU. I was at okay. Eastern Washington. Yep. And so the, the actual campus is in Cheney, yeah. but I was at the, the Spokane campus because it was the, where the grad school was. So I had Greg Spatz and Sam Ligon, um, Amazing, amazing experience. Expensive for grad school, but yeah. I, I really value what I learned there. And especially just getting to know that area of the country is a, a lot of people assume that that Washington and Oregon is completely luscious, like green and everything. But that side of the state, yeah, it's pretty arid. Yeah, it's like my, so my folks went to Whitworth as well. And my dad yeah. grew up in the Bay Area. And so when he was going off to college in Spokane, he had never visited in person. He'd seen like the brochures where they take a picture of the two trees on campus, you know. Yep. And uh, and so these uh, the the students that he was writing with were some other, you know, some sophomores, juniors were taking this freshman up for his first time. He was carpooling with them up to, to school for the first time uh, on his own, you know, I mean, which yeah. kind of terrifying to think, you know. And they yeah. decided to play this joke on him as they were driving through the the Tri Cities, which I call the Dry Shitties. They <laughs> in, this was what Spokane looked like. And yeah. as they're driving, he's getting more and more and more freaked out that this is going to be just this wasteland compared to yep. you know the, the you know he lived in very lush green part of the the bay yeah. area you know and uh and and then you know you come over that ridge and suddenly it is pine forest but it's very yeah. very different than than uh, the western sides of the state i'm on yeah. the, the west side of oregon it's very green you go over to eastern oregon yep. or eastern washington you're you're eugene right I'm in uh, Independence outside of Salem, so I'm, I'm oh okay halfway between uh, uh, Portland and Eugene. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, you know this state is and Washington is similar. They're very divided, both culturally yeah. as well as uh, uh, you know in terms of the the uh, weather and the you know I mean it's, yeah. it's it's a different place over on the east side, and it absolutely. makes the state kind of a a purple state in terms of its culture. Yeah too yeah like, absolutely it's not homogeneous so and spokane's right. just a very you, know, you live there it's a very weird place like it why does this city still exist and not just as a small town it's a million people why yeah like, why are they you know like it's so strange but uh yeah i have a lot yeah. of weird so, memories a little, about a little story from that too is that i was working as a traveling salesman for lack of a better term when i was when i was going to school there and uh part of my territory was bakersfield uh bakersfield oregon and like when you talk about the different kind of like cultural class bakersfield is the meth capital of the world as far as i know <laughs> it is uh very very republican you know and so i would go there and i would deliver uh sunglasses and supplements lighters hats gloves and all that stuff to the maverick gas station in bakersfield and they bought more bic lighters for me every time i went than any <laughs> other gas station 
hands down. But the, the hilarious thing is, is that there was goat farmers who were who were uh, grazing their goats at the top of the like hills. They're not really mountains, hills in Bakersfield. Uh, and they were pooping in the rivers and they had to shut down their water supply because there was a toxic, deadly uh, substance in goat poop that they were pooping in the rivers. They had to shut down their water source and get that figured out wow. when I was living there. I thought that was hilarious. I was like, wow, goats took over the town of, and I may be saying, um, is it Baker City, not Bakersfield? Yes, I Baker said City, Baker, yeah. Baker City. Sorry yeah. about that. And no. there's actually Baker City and Baker, and they're distinct. Okay. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah but we've got creative naming conventions here in Oregon. Not only <laughs> Baker and Baker City, we have boring. Yes. We have. You know, uh, but uh, yes, uh, Baker City. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a very different place than than. Uh, yeah. you know, and I'm in a small town, small agrarian town here mm-hmm. on the west side. So even that's got that kind of purple feel of, you know, yeah. well, it's a small town, but we've got a university and we've got a you know pretty diverse population ethnically and politically and that kind of thing. So I I, I really like independence in that way. Uh, but uh, yeah. it's you know, I, I'm, I'm like you. I did not expect to live here. For, yeah. I've been here for 20 years and wow. I, I'm a big city guy, you know, at heart, like grew up in San Diego and Cincinnati and, you know, even yeah. Spokane much bigger than, uh, than, than here. In yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, the nice thing is when you're a public school teacher in a town this small, after 20 years, you know, everybody, yeah. <laughs> which is great. I love the people that I've gotten to work with and their yeah. kids. And I mean, the other day I was taking my dog to the vet and somebody walks in and I get to see her yeah. baby, her beautiful little baby. And then say to her baby, your mother and father met in my 10th grade class. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the lady behind the counter was cracking up like, you know, you yeah. get to know them all. So small, there is a, a merit to small town communities uh, that I yeah. have come to value when at first I was like, I don't know if this is for me. And now yeah. I'm learning. I've learned to love it, you know. Totally. Yeah. The, the other night uh, I was I was walking my dog. So we have a, a great Dane named Lyle. Um which funny story if we get to it later, but uh, we'll come back if we do. Anyways, I'm walking him and there's a, a car coming down one of the main roads in my town. There's two basic main roads, one that goes north, south, one that goes east, west. And so she's coming down and she stops her car and sees me and says, hey, are you that author? And I said, um, yeah. And she's like, I saw your brochure at the gym. <laughs> I was like, yeah, cool, buy the book. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those in the, the, the you know, the, the, the sightings in the wild where people actually, I mean, <laughs> that has happened to me only a few times in my writing career and i my first book came out what yeah 10 years ago so it is very rare but yeah in a small town people will go i read your book and you're like what so yeah that is very cool yeah because that is part of the point like we are trying to engage and start a you know conversation with readers and uh and and so sometimes that disconnect of going i wonder if anybody's reading this is is hard and when you can meet somebody who goes i know that you're a writer that's that's you yeah exactly um so uh now part of the point of the show is for us to for readers to get to know you and so uh one of the questions that i always ask is about if you were a character in dnd not not what character would you play but if you yourself were the actual character in Dungeons and Dragons, what would be your race and class? All right. Well, I have to confess, I know of Dungeons and Dragons. I haven't seen the movie yet. I've never played it. I had really good friends who played it a ton, and I just never actually sat down to play the game. But there's this spin-off game 
uh, called Munchkin. I love Munchkin. Yes, <laughs> Munchkin is great. Munchkin is great because it's far less involved in terms of you don't need yes. to set aside a day every month or a day every week or whatever to play. You can play Munchkin in one sitting. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah. Yeah, so that's 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 where I'm thinking right now. My my sons and my wife and I will play in the wintertime when the lake is not available. That's one of our Saturday kind of rituals is that we'll sit down and play Munchkin together. Uh, and Cleric is by far my favorite. It's not technically a race. I think it's a class. Yeah. So I could be uh, any yeah. anything I wanted. I could be like a, an orc cleric or an elf cleric. Doesn't matter as long as I'm a cleric because there's this one card in the deck called divine intervention and if you pull it and you're at a level nine you win the game that's it yeah you've just <laughs> yeah. got to get there yes yeah. uh so i i do i really love that uh there's a couple other advantages to being a cleric so uh my my boys in fact will often if if i pull the cleric card they're like wait wait we're done it's like it doesn't even matter because by the time i get a cleric yeah it's just um, <laughs> such a good advantage <laughs> so now you've been ambushed you yep. are attacked by three small goblins in the woods. You are a, a cleric and a, a, you know, or cleric or an elf cleric. What do you do? Oh my goodness. Let's You're see. You're not yet level nine. You can't just call down divine intervention and wipe out <laughs> these goblins. So what do you do? Well, I mean, hopefully I have the chainsaw of bloody dismemberment uh, that I can fight back with. But if I don't have the chainsaw of bloody dismemberment, I hope I roll a five or a six. Because yep, <laughs> I'm done for. Excellent. Okay, well, we're going to go to our ad break. And uh, uh, so, Doug, play that music. And when we come back, Jody, I'm going to ask you about um, what you've been daydreaming about lately. Today's show is brought to you by Nancy Ballard's Under Caraco's Moon series. The planet Caraco is short on technology and long on wide open spaces. When Seth Riley returns home to Underrim, it isn't the peaceful village he remembers. Trouble is in the wind, and the new girl in town is at the heart of it. The two of them get in the way of Jerdix, a racketeer with a torture device outlawed throughout the Interstellar Coalition. Unable to cope with what he suffered, Seth flees to a lonely camp where he becomes obsessed with taming a horse as damaged as he is. She follows, determined to help him. But immersing herself in his troubles and in the challenges of rugged terrain and solitude just helps her deny her own ordeal. Isolation is not a cure, and Jurdix is still out there. Can they stand up to his threat and find the help they both need? The series continues in deep canyons and tricky ground, as Seth and Lee discover something that will change the fate of their whole planet. Karen Eisenbray, author of the Rage Brigade duology and the Wizard Girl trilogy, says, This thrilling sci-fi western rides the open range of another world with complex characters caught in a web of conspiracy. And Miko Azul, author of the Demons of Moralia series, says, Distant Trails is a roller coaster ride of pain and despair, love and redemption. Ballard's characters embody both frailty and resilience as they redefine their lives from tragedy to hope. Get your copies of the whole Under Caraco's Moons trilogy today. Thank you, Doug. So uh, welcome back, Jody. What is something you've been daydreaming about when you aren't writing lately? So I have been thinking uh, a ton about making it, I guess. Um, in fact, like last night, my son and I were driving back. He is in jujitsu. He's a he's a good wrestler. Um, my oldest son is on the spectrum. We've never told him before, so I 
listeners, if you feel differently about this, just understand there's different ways to raise kids. And I never wanted him to think of himself as being different. Um, he's high functioning. He's going to be able to live on his own someday, but uh, he has some distinct needs. Uh, and and he became a really good wrestler because he can take instruction and apply it in a certain way. And uh, so he, he was the best wrestler on his team last year. Remember, he's only 10, but um, anyways, I, I'm, I'm just trying to set up like who he is. And so we're taking him to jujitsu in Omaha and that's a fairly long drive. It's a, a two hour round trip plus an hour in jujitsu. Plus we'll visit some of my family who's local to Omaha. It's a long night once a week, but it wow. keeps him up and learning skills during the off season for wrestling so that when he gets back, he's better and everything. And as we were driving back, I saw a billboard just outside of uh, Valley, Nebraska, that there was a billion dollar uh, Powerball drawing. Uh, yep. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? Why don't we buy a ticket? And 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 I look at the time, and we have two minutes to get there before uh, the drawing concludes, and you can't buy a ticket for that day. And so I, Silas is, oh, well, my son, anyways, is like, uh, try, try, try. And I was like, okay, I'll try. Um, we're not going to get there in time. And it's late. Like I pull in, I know that it's after the time and he says, go try. And I go try. And I, I only have a, a credit card and a debit card. And I walk in and they had had a ticket that drew um, before the time that somebody was not able to pay for because they didn't have cash. But I also didn't have cash when I walked in. So I said, let me go see if I can scrounge up some change. And so I went and I scrounged up the change and the whole way back from there, about another half hour drive, plus we picked up some groceries. It's like, we're just talking about what life would be like if the money pressures were gone and you could just live your best life. And so I think this is a really long convoluted way to tell you a little bit more about me, but also say that money is a hobby for me in that I believe the best life you can live is one where you're free of the pressures of thinking about money. If you can get to that place, it doesn't mean you're wealthy. It just means you understand the economy of your family and your future enough that you just don't think about it. It's all set and go. Yeah, which would really be the opposite. So I, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. When the, uh, when the, the, you know, the lottery was at a billion dollars, my fiance and I went out yeah. and got tickets. And here's my, you know, feelings about the lottery. Yeah. buy one ticket because what you're purchasing is the entertainment of an evening of talking about what you yes. will get to do with the money. And it's totally That's worth funny. that, you know, whatever, a couple of bucks. So you can sit yeah. around and go, what if, and that's great. Yes. Never buy two. The odds in terms of yes. the difference between one and two are infinitesimal. You, you've not, but the, <laughs> exactly. the odds between zero and one, that's a significant difference. Like, yeah. you know, never buy two lottery tickets. But, uh, but you know, so we got, uh, you know, each got our ticket and we sat there and had this great conversation. But the, the challenge of the billion dollars is it is yep. inconceivable and it wouldn't actually provide you with that piece. It would become the exact opposite. It would be so burdensome right. to figure out how ethically to live to give that away effectively. Because- a billion dollars, there does come a point where having a billion dollars when other people are starving is yeah. wrong. So how do you, you know, affect yeah. it? And that would be, that would be, you know, I mean, not miserable. We would, we figured out, we would, you know, be pretty happy, uh, you know, living in our castle and, and giving money away yep. to people. But, uh, but it would become your full-time job, you know? And then Crystal was uh, really yeah. surprised Absolutely. that I would continue publishing and writing. 
And I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. But I would be able to say to an author, here's your million dollar advance, knowing right, this book exactly. is not going to make a million dollars. Like I would right. lose money giving yes. authors money. You know, those are the kinds of things I would really enjoy doing. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think that exercise of thinking about where yeah. is that place where money brings you stability and peace is you know yeah. and where is the point at which now it's just it's your you know she was like i would fund go fund me and i had to say yeah. with a billion dollars you could spend your entire day filling yeah. out go fund me's and yeah. you'd never stop and it would get really boring like what did you yeah. do for eight hours you filled out go fund me paperwork like you know it, it is it's hard for us to think about a thousand million dollars like yeah. <laughs> it's just mind-boggling well, there's, there's a couple of things. There was somebody who did a, a kind of a mental exercise for people. And they said, a lot of times you'll hear the rhetoric say like millionaires and billionaires in the same breath. But uh, the distance between a millionaire and, 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 and me, for example, is about the distance from the West Coast to the East Coast. The difference between a millionaire and a billionaire is seven trips from the earth to the sun and back. That's scale for you. And you're just thinking like, okay, wait a sec. A million bucks seems like a lot to me, but a billion is this insane amount of money that you just don't know how to fathom. Um, One thing I I agree with you, and and I love hearing what you said, because it's the same conversation my son and I were having. And I I was talking about if it happened, I would take the the town I live in and I would make it like the next Telluride for authors. You know, it's like, where where you go to meet uh, people who are going to make your books into movies, where you go to get great food, where you go to have an amazing getaway and everything just in the middle of nowhere. It's not easy to get to, but because I have so much money, I just pour it into the town and lose a ton of money. But the experience for so many people, so many thousands and thousands of people is improved. The one thing you said that I thought a lot about, and I mean, when you talk about people starving, I agree with you. And I do want to help those people. I also feel like I don't have a specific religion, but I am inclined to believe in like a, a deity of some kind. And I think I'm on this earth because I have this like this passion for something Then I should pour into my community. And obviously I didn't win the Powerball, so I don't have to worry about it. But just the thought exercise itself is, because I am a writer, I am going to give everything I can to writers as like along the way too. And I do that already. I buy books that I don't think I'll probably read because I know that somebody's trying to get a leg up. Those kind of things matter to me now. And imagine what you could do at that kind of scale. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, the, the changes that would alleviate the greatest amount of suffering are not something any single billionaire can do. Like, yeah. the, you know, uh, uh, curing homelessness in this country would cost $20 billion. So you'd yeah. make a billion in the in the lotto and that still wouldn't uh, alleviate homelessness, but it is half as much as the U.S. military spends on Viagra. Like this <laughs> is something that you could do, right? And so like, you know, the, 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 you know, Crystal and I were talking about, you know, if you had a billion dollars, you could spend a lot on trying to make policy changes that would actually be yeah. more significant than filling out GoFundMes, you know, yeah. that, that you could uh, help a lot of people in that way. But you're right. I would then, sp- I would spend a lot of it on, you know, my, my dream would be a castle that's a writer's retreat, 
And, you know, hey, writers, you don't have to worry about. And so I I recognize that I'm addressing needs I understand. Like these are the things that I wish somebody, you know, when I was uh, an undergrad in college and somebody come along and said, hey, would you like to just have a place to write for the next, you know, however long you need? I mean, that would have been wonderful. That's a need I can fulfill. Whereas, you know. How to most effective, you know, the, the the Gates Foundation. I have a friend who's an engineer in Seattle, and she worked on designing the buildings for the Gates Foundation. So this wasn't for Microsoft, the company. This was for the office buildings where the people work who were just working full time to try and figure out how to disperse the money. You know, it's it is a massive enterprise to try and get involved in philanthropy. And and I'm like, that's not my calling. Like, that's not what I want to do with my life is work for the Gates Foundation. And the people who are yep. doing it, great. I'm glad that there are people working very hard to, uh, you know, to, to solve all these giant global problems. But there's yep. also a structural problem when we have, you know, a few people who are so wealthy that they get to decide, I want to do that or not. Maybe I'll, you know, I mean, the the wealth inequality is, there does come a point where it is unethical. And that's, I think, something you're hearing more and more. People are, you know, starting to recognize there is no such thing as an ethical billionaire. Like, if you have a billion dollars, you are doing something wrong uh, when other people are suffering. Um, But but because that billion is so hard for us to comprehend, you know, if somebody came to you and said, I want to offer you a million dollars, you'd be like, this will change my life. And if somebody said to you, I want to offer you 745 or 746 million, you'd go, that million doesn't matter. Wait a second, that million just changed your life. Yeah, but that million doesn't is irrelevant now. And so these folks are so wealthy that the amount of money that they could change people's lives with is, you know, irrelevant to them. And they live in a different world. And that's something that, you know, will need to be. Addressed. So, <laughs> do we do we have like the time and place to just have a thought exercise? Because I I really yeah. this conversation fascinates me, but I don't I don't want to stop along the way if we we need to get something. Oh no, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. So, I mean, your your schedule is the the one. So if you've got time, I've got time. Good, good. So at uh, for for one, I I discovered a book called uh, the 10x Rule by a guy named Grant Cardone. You may or may not have heard of it before. He wrote a follow-up book called uh, Be Obsessed or Be Average. Um, And it's my belief about my own life that the only way to get my books out to the number of readers that I dream about and and, like envision is to do really uncommon things. And so I'm trying all the time to do things that will produce outsized results. But he is a guy who in his childhood came from uh, an impoverished family. He's, he's that story, you know, he, he becomes a billionaire. I don't need to tell his story. You can go if you're interested in hearing him, but he becomes a billionaire. Uh, and he is, I say this, I've said it on my podcast before when talking with other people, he's a douchebag. And I think he's almost unapologetically so. Uh, his perspective on the world is really skewed toward anybody who's not obsessed is average. And so he's hard on people who don't work hard and he doesn't understand that there are barriers between them and what they want and mental health and all of the nuances that go into it. And so I understand that. And I'm always really cautious when I recommend him. I just, there's something about that particular story and what he created along the way. So there's this thing called Cardone Capital. I'm not like 
uh, <laughs> I don't I don't get a kickback for it. But what he does for Cardone Capital is that he he gives access to everyday investors like you and me um, to invest in giant real estate projects, um, even though you're not an accredited investor. And the returns are consistent compared to like the stock market. So um, where I think the biggest unethical push in the world comes from is putting your money in a 401k. If you have a 401k right now, you are in trouble because you're at the mercy of the market and multiple times in your life, you've seen it go kaputs. My grandma had to retire when the market was down. And I just, so anyways, I, I need to stop. Like I told you money's a passion of mine and, and I'm frustrated with the world that believes in the stock market. And then a billionaire like Grant Cardone comes along. And I agree with you. He is a douchebag. I don't. Well, and and, and I, not to make excuses for somebody like that, but uh, there is yeah. a part of me that, understand so when you know my fiance yeah. and i were talking about our uh our you know if we won if we got a billion dollars yeah. one of the things that she was at first talking about was she owns a store uh, a, a retail store in san yeah. and she was her first thinking was like oh i would maybe do this for the store or that for the store or this and i was like why like what is the point at that point if the store is successful if you she right. runs bricks and minifigs she sells legos if you uh, sell oh, nice. legos yeah you already have a billion dollars and i'm sure somebody <laughs> like this cardone yeah. guy didn't at one point have a billion dollars and so right, he exactly. got into the mindset of you know buy for one sell for two like that is the way that retail works right you know and then once you're successful enough it's very hard to stop and go i don't need to buy for one sell for two anymore i have enough and finding that yeah. place where you go this is enough when you've designed your whole life you have to work so hard. i'm sure he worked hard i'm sure he was also very lucky yeah. and he doesn't want to acknowledge but he i'm sure he worked hard and that combination of luck and hard work is that you know well because i got here i must have earned it well you did work hard you yeah. were also very lucky and you got revolutionist history yeah and you got into this mindset that everything must move in this direction because it's your whole life you're you know you're eating your workout routine everything was designed around i need to buy for one sell for two what is how am i going to maximize my life and they they have a really hard time going and now i can stop I'm, i'll bet if he stopped he would see himself as a loser like he can't change his yes. mindset to go i have i have achieved sufficient amount of money you know and so these people cannot stop themselves in some cases which is yeah. kind of sick <laughs> you know like it is it'd be it'd be interesting to see a guy like him and in some ways when, when i mentioned cardone capital the reason i like it is because for example my mom moved her money out of the stock market into cardone capital and she doubled her money in a 3 year period which is like yeah, clockwork that's, that's good. And that's, that's really cool. It's cool to have a place for an everyday person who had a 401k to be like, you know what, I'm tired of the risk. Um, it would be cool for a guy like him to to recognize, and maybe he does. I'm not going to comment on him because I do like him. I read his books. I get jazzed up by him to try to work hard as well. Um, but it would be cool for a guy like him or anybody in that similar position to recognize, okay, I've, I have a specific set of skills. And I'm going to continue to use those skills to accumulate money, but I'm actually going to hire an entire team behind me that starts to disperse the money. Yeah. I don't even know what they're doing. The right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Yeah. Right now, I'm just going to build that money and it's going to go somewhere. I have no clue where it's going, but I know for sure I can do this and they can do that. You know, wouldn't that be yeah. awesome? Yeah, that would be, and that's an interesting kind of solution to it because I think a lot of the problem is in our system. And I know, yeah. for example, we have a lot of folks who are going off to 
Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, yeah. you know, these schools who could be the, the the brain power that could do things like curing cancer and instead yeah. are learning how to create an algorithm that moves a little bit faster than the market and a little right. bit faster oh, and collects yeah. a little more data over, you know, customers, uh, you know, habits so that they know us a little better and can sell to us. And it's the incentive structure is the problem. It's not the individual. This is, you know, this is a brilliant person saying, what should I do to pay off these massive, uh, you know, student loans yeah. that I've accumulated? I guess I'm going to go into high finance. And right. all they do is move digits around, digits in the ether. These are not even real things. You know, they move yeah. ones and zeros and yeah. they make a little bit more money. And it's totally I don't want, I don't want to say totally useless. It may benefit some people in some tiny marginal way, but mostly it's just it benefits stuff the people around. who've already been benefited. It is the same thing that we talk about all the time when we get really angry about and when I'm, I'm really angry. I'm getting a little bit hyperbolic, but but um, it, it's frustrating to know that uh Brad Pitt can walk into a restaurant right now and not have to pay because someone's going to give him his meal for free because he's Brad Pitt. Right. And you're sort of like this is the point in your life where you should actually not not have to pay, you should pay double. Right. Yep. Absolutely. That that staff should be so well tipped tonight. You yes. know, that, you know, yes. yeah, somebody bought me my dinner and I turned around and paid three times as much in tips. Yeah. Like maybe he that, does. I'm not saying Brad yeah, maybe he does. Yeah, not, not broadcast <laughs> specific. But you know, that yeah, that mentality of we we take care of the people who need the least care. And the people who need the most care, you know, they're they're sitting outside the restaurant and somebody's saying, You're not allowed in here. And so there, yeah, there, there is absolutely a, a a a disconnect, and it has to do with people who it's not the individual. Like it's not that Brad Pitt is sitting around going, wah ha 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 ha, right? Yeah. It is yeah. structural. And right. uh, and uh, you know, addressing that involves a lot of people having kind of a a, a mental shift. And I'm yeah. I like that this I this idea of you know, to be a billionaire is unethical. I think we need that to catch on so that people go, oh, th there's got to be an end point where you're benefiting others. Because if you're just trying to be the richest one, that's not something we laud anymore. You know, yeah. it's just when we, yay for you, you've got 40 billion instead of 50 billion. Who cares? Like, right. that's actually really bad. What did you do for anybody? So exactly. um, yeah, that's 100% agree with you. my socialist rant for the day. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Uh, uh, one of the things we do on this show is we have a poll that I then post on, you know, all the various socials. And so this will be on Twitter for sure. And uh, Facebook and stuff. What is your idea for our poll for this next week? Okay, let's see. So um, I apologize. I, I'm looking at it right here, but where did it go? Ah! Can't find it. And I'll cut this, but it's segment seven. <laughs> so uh if all insurance sales people were turned into ducks how often would you eat duck weekly <laughs> <laughs> nice i once sold insurance and i do not disagree with this question um, <laughs> i was an insurance salesman uh, once upon a time actually yeah. i was an insurance salesman and then went worse so when i was working for uh, uh, Prudential, I was doing good in the world. I was helping, you know, middle-class folks get like car insurance and homeowners insurance, right? And then I was like, no, I need to be more successful. I mean, this goes back to our point about successful. And I went to work for Merrill Lynch selling stocks. Uh, yes. And found, hey, I am making incredibly wealthy people 
a tiny bit wealthier. This doesn't feel good at all. Like, you know, and uh, that got, got out of that. So I'm, I'm, and I got out just before the economy crashed. So that was lucky too. Yeah. <laughs> Merrill Lynch doesn't exist anymore as a, as a uh, yeah. <laughs> right. not my fault. I was out first. I did not crash Merrill Lynch. I want it noted for all the folks watching. <laughs> um, so uh, what's in your to read pile? What are you looking forward to checking out soon? Oh, I got to give a plug to my my main man, William F. Gray. He wrote a book called The Devil Within Us All. Um, I just had him as a guest on my podcast. He uh, His debut book was self-published. Um, if I could tell you how I met him, it was just through the Twitter world, which is how you and I met. Yeah. But like something about, you know, we, we had a conversation. He said, can I give you uh, my audiobook?" And I said, sure thing. So he sent the audiobook. I'd done this a couple of times with people without a lot of success. I will say right now, while we're talking about this, the issue with self-published right now is that the gradation between good and really shitty is vast. It's hard to find the good stuff if you're not careful and know how to look for it. But so he gave it to me and I started listening and it was instantaneous. I knew from page one, you know, quote unquote, because it's an audiobook, that this is good. And it locked me in, man. And I I literally listened to the entire book, walking my dog around town. I did two laps around town listening to this book. Blew me away. Uh, and so I've been a fan of his. I had him on my podcast. I've done everything I can to make him big. And all I had to do was tell him, you have something special. You better know it. He works at a, um, a pharmacist. Uh, and he started really marketing his books just by word of mouth mm -hmm. and right now he has a traditional publishing deal with a small horror imprint the devil within us all it is such a good book and he deserves to go big i just uh, we can start a grass i will, I will post to that in the uh in the show notes so folks should absolutely check that out yeah i mean part of it is you know we need to do exactly this supporting one another is uh yeah. is is key for for self-pub but the other i was talking to a literary agent years ago, kind of during the transition into self-publishing. And some literary agents are, are you know, I, I, I want to give a shout out to agents. They actually, we have this tendency to think of them as, as though they're evil and awful because they're the people who say no to us the most, but they're really wonderful once you get them. And once you get one, then they're saying no to everyone else and you're glad because that means they're yeah. focusing on you. Literary agents are actually really, really helpful people. Uh, but yes. uh, I was talking, but some of them made the transition into this new world and some of them didn't and i was talking to this older gentleman who probably is retired now uh and he was kind of bad-mouthing the world of of uh, of self-publishing but his his quote which i will never forget was you're wading into a sea of mediocrity yeah. and i was like that's actually fair. Like that is correct. Yeah, you know, absolutely. you really are. It, it is a difficult ocean uh, because there's a lot of mediocre stuff. There's brilliant okay. stuff that is being self-published and there's absolute garbage. And yeah, how do you get folks to find what's good? This is exactly how you share, the, you know, the, the stuff that you're yeah. finding that's good. And then people go, oh, Jody told me about this other gentleman's yeah. book. What was the, what was the guy's name? William F. Gray. So William good. F. Gray. We say his name a lot. So <laughs> Jody Sperling told me about William F. Gray. I read William F. Gray's book. It was really good. Now I need to go check out Jody J. Sperling's book because right. I know we have similar taste. Right? And, and That's I trust how we promote one taste, another. Right? Yeah. yeah. Right. So uh, on that note, where can folks find you and your work online? 
Okay, so uh, there's a couple of places, but I think probably the, the the easiest place to find me right now is www.jodyjsperling.com. It's my name, J-O-D-Y-J-S-P is in Paul, E-R-L-I-N is in Nancy, G.com. Um, all of my books are there. You can get them directly from me. So one of the things that I do to try to help me uh, succeed in this world is I self-fulfill everything. It helps me keep the most profit from my books. If you enjoyed what I was talking about, if you enjoyed kind of like the way that I think about the world, you're probably going to enjoy my books. Um, I have a girl's name. I want to throw that out there real quick. Jody is historically a woman's name. And so the protagonist of my series, the Luke and time mysteries, Luke is a, is a woman with a man's name. That's not by accident. I have gotten a couple of bad reviews because people are like, I, I just couldn't buy into the fact that a woman had a, man's name and i was like ah you're like um hello i've lived <laughs> I, this I <laughs> so at any rate that's easy if you get there you can get anywhere for me but i am at jody j sperling on every social media it's easy to find me i did that on purpose and um gosh i'm just so grateful to what you are doing not a pipe publishing is amazing and i am so excited to be a part of your world even just peripherally oh anything we can do i mean supporting one another is how we get through this business right it is a it is a brutal business I mean, part of it is just celebrating one another i you know i always tell my authors like they'll, they'll finish a manuscript or they'll they'll get a, a a request for a partial from some other publisher or whatever and i'm like go out to dinner we don't yes. celebrate enough. Like when you were, you know, yes. working in an office, somebody had a birthday down the hall and everybody got cake and everybody cheered and yay. And yeah. we do this job that's very isolating. And so yes. celebrating one another is a real key to, you know, maintaining our mental health as authors. <laughs> so yes, yeah. I mean, the fact that you've got two books out in the same year, I want to celebrate that. That's amazing. Like you've had a very good year uh, and I'm excited yeah. to check that series out and uh, and check out the third coming up. Um my uh my my to read this you'll get a kick out of this I, i'm looking forward to miriam gershaw's the local news i just ordered uh, it it's on its way uh but the way that i came to this was uh talia Levin, who was a guest on the show recommended yeah. a book by naomi novick there's a lot of names i'm throwing out here i'm mean, yeah. dropping terribly but uh re recommended the book uprooted by naomi novick and somehow in my head i got the author's name wrong and oh, no. so I put out a tweet to the entire, you know, universe, which is actually <laughs> much smaller, saying, hey, Talia, thank you for recommending Miriam Gershaw's Uprooted, which Miriam <laughs> Gershaw did not write. And, you know, she was gracious enough to go, mm, not my book. And then, you know, but but <laughs> I, I, it sounds good. Congratulations. Like, she was very nice about it. And then I was like, yeah. Oh, well, now I'm obligated. Like, I need to now read Miriam's book, which is getting, you know, I have not, I know very little about it, but I know that it is getting rave reviews. It is, uh, it was uh, nominated for the Oregon Book Award. So <laughs> the local news is on my TBR pile. And I'm going to see if I can get Miriam on the show so I can formally apologize uh, once I, oh, awesome. <laughs> I finish that. But she was great about it. So maybe, maybe uh, Naomi Novik and Miriam Gershaw will both see this tweet thread and read one another's books and become fast friends. And then I'll be like, okay, that was, that was successful. Everybody wins. Yes. Everybody wins. So that's, that's my hope. Uh, okay. So I've got to thank some folks before we sign off. Uh, thanks to the artist, Max Oakland, who reached out and provided one of his songs for our intro song. I prefer the dusk. Uh, let Max know you like it uh, by following him on Twitter at Max Oakland with three D's. 
Uh, thanks to Halizna CCO for their song Kids for the ad break. If you're in a band and you'd like your song used on the show, I'd love to highlight a listener's work like Max's song. So email me at notapipepublishing at gmail.com uh, for that. Uh, thanks to Doug, the producer, for making the show sound good and taking the blame when it doesn't. Thank you so much, Doug, for all your work. Um, and I can't forget to mention Writers Not Writing is a production uh, of Not A Pipe Publishing. So please go to notapipepublishing.com. Check out the amazing books written by writers who didn't procrastinate too much. And Not A Pipe Publishing now has an online store. And I, like Jody, am fulfilling orders uh, uh, myself uh, for that. That's a new thing for me. We should gab about that. Uh, <laughs> that's been going for you. It's it's like, oh, I'm going to the post office again. Okay. Uh, yeah. Folks out there, if you like this show, rate and review it wherever you found it. Uh, please check out Jody's book, The Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi. Am I pronouncing that correctly? DeLonghi. DeLonghi. Okay. The Nine Lives, we'll say it lots of times so folks remember it. The Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi uh, with the female protagonist, Luke. Uh, check out Jody's book uh, and uh, tell a friend about it. Uh, and then write a review, even a short review, a single click on that fifth star makes a huge difference to authors. So if you've got three minutes, make Jody's day, click on that fifth star and say, this book was wonderful. Like it really does make a difference. Uh, and I'm too old to say smash that like button, but if you could gently tap on the like button for this show, I would greatly appreciate it. Um, okay. So uh, Jody and I have a couple of things we want you to remember this week. Jody, what's your advice for everybody this week? Oh man. Okay. So go, go do it. Don't, don't wait. Um, I'm not even, I'm not even consulting any notes that I maybe brought to this, but go do it. Whatever it is, there's a thing right now you're thinking about doing that you're putting off because you're afraid that it will suck. It probably will suck and you should still go do it because the next thing that you do that with will be better. And my advice seems like it's contradictory, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> tell folks a novel without any spaces wouldn't make sense. And the same is true for your life. You need to take spaces. But that doesn't mean don't go do that thing. That thing that you need to do, get obsessed about it. And also <laughs> take breaks. Take breaks. You need yeah. to find, you know, I have to force myself to stop. I'll work 14 hours straight for, you know, company stuff and my own writing. And, and I have to say, no, I love what I get to do. And also I need to take breaks. Um, yeah. And lastly, no matter how much you procrastinate, we're still proud of you. Oh, love it. If I take my time.